So if you have been with us the last several weeks, you know that we have been um, doing, uh, looking at both the deeper and wider aspects of the Christian faith. We go deeper. We, we around here, we talk about our mission is to live with Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead other, others to do the same. So uh, to reduce that down, we want to go deeper in our faith with, with Jesus. We want to know him better, love him more, love and glorify the Father more, while at the same time having a deeper impact um, in the world around us, going wider, both locally, as we talked about with uh, Church Beyond the Walls here, and also wider still to the, the greater world. One of the um, things we've been about the last year, I'm the missions pastor here, Dave Hyatt, um, is, is looking around the world of w- where we might partner. We have about 35 missionary families that we partner with a- in the world, um, but that's a lot for people to keep in mind. That's like you know, having baseball cards when you're a kid. Hey, this person in Senegal, they're hitting 305 and, you know, two, you know, 115 RBIs. You can't remember everybody that does everything. I can't. I can barely remember everybody who does everything that our church works with and supports. So we wanted to pick a couple of places where we'd partner really specifically, um, where we could go towards uh, unreached people. And that's people who just have no ability within their own, um, they're, they're not enough of their own, uh, resources to, to reach their country or their people with the gospel. Uh, people, so an unreached people group among, and people that we know, like that there's a partner there that we know. So we have been investigating three areas of the world. Tanzania, which is in uh, East Africa, Senegal in West Africa, and then Turkey, which is not in Africa at all. It's in Asia and Europe, if you know, much, if you know your geography. So we had a team go to, uh, to Turkey this past summer. We've had several teams go to Turkey, and one that went this past summer. I'd love to uh, invite a couple of those members of that team up. So Mary Beth and Emily, if you guys could come up and tell us a little bit more about their trip. It was a team of school teachers or retired school teachers. Pull hard. There you go. (laughs) You could chip a tooth with that thing I have. So yeah, so this is Emily Wakefield and Mary Beth Krankowski. So let's welcome them. Yes. As you can see there, so there were four people on the trip total. So we're going to, two other people will be interviewed. So we'll see who wins. Um, now, who does the better job uh, at the second service? But no, so I'd love to just hear what it is that you guys did on your trip. So this trip, like uh, Pastor Dave said, was all um, teachers. Our main focus was uh, working with our national partner, Bashak, who is in Turkey, um, working with her uh, to help us connect with teachers that are currently in the education system in Turkey. Um, So the four of us, we worked on creating different modules that we thought would uh, be beneficial uh, for different teachers, focusing on best practices in teaching. We had some teaching time, uh, some time of workshop, which had hands-on activities for the teachers. Uh, But we also got to discuss and talk about what the Turkish education system is like. And uh, I really feel like we were able to connect with the teachers on some of the hardships and struggles that all teachers face. Excellent. And so just a second question. Why did you guys, why did you go? Why did you feel called to go? I guess, Mary Beth, you're going to take that one. Well, this is a good one. I was a teacher for 31 years in Harrisburg School District, and I always thought that my mission was to shine the light of Jesus into the lives of these children. And I would always look at the kids through the eyes of Jesus because 
I know I do the same thing over and over and every day, and I would never want God to say, why did you do that? Stop doing that. So I always had it in the back of my head, the best way to reach these children is to love them. So it was kind of in my heart always to be a, an educator and to touch the lives of those that don't know Jesus in, in this dark world. Well, when you say the word missions with the word church, this is what happens to me. I either think of putting up drywall or I'm walking through the jungles with a machete trying to get to this little village, but I need like a diameter of one mile to get to the nearest Diet Coke. So that was really stretching it for me. But I was approached by my small group leader, David Kraft, and when he approached what was involved in this, I kind of said, well, God, you have a great sense of humor because of the fact that it was going to be short term and it, he needed teachers. And I said, okay, let me think about it. Well, I wrestled with God pretty much. And uh, he said, you know, I've been pretty faithful to you. No, I shouldn't say he's been ever faithful to me. Amen. Yes, <laughs> he's been ever faithful to me. Through, through some tragedies with the last five years, he says, how can you not trust me? I was there for you, and I always will be there for you. So I did say yes to going on the missions trip. Well, it was, for me, I was reaching out to others, but God really reached into my heart. And he kind of said to me, listen, girl, you're not in this. The world is not about you anymore and seeing the love that these Turkish teachers had for us was just absolutely jaw-dropping so I just prayed throughout the time I was there to teach me deeper and Bashak was such an such a phenomenal one-man job one man reaching out so I said the least I can do is make connections and Emily, just hold this. This was one of our culminating activities. The, uh, the teachers and we made little tiny, or big tiny things, uh, towels that they, they got to summarize the um, workshops. And my, my motto was, no matter where you teach, children are all the same. And that's why I looked at it through God's eyes. We are all the same. We all need love. We all need light. So selfishly, I was thinking about it, and I said to myself, you are a very selfish person. This world is not about you. So in my selfishness, I used to get eyelash extensions. Well, I took them off, and I donate all the money I would have spent on eyelashes, and I sent it over to Bashat because she's a one-man army trying to work through Turkey. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh. As teachers, okay. as teachers we both have notes, so cheat sheets are allowed. Okay. Cheat sheets are absolutely allowed. Okay. If you guys say so, you're the teacher. So, Emily, last question for you. So, uh, just, uh, what did I say here? I asked you, uh, what's, who's one person you connected with or just a story of connection? I know there's some ongoing 
conversations going Absolutely. on? Absolutely. That's one of the great things about uh, social media is the fact that we've been able to connect with um, the teachers that we met there through Instagram, um, even some of the translators. Our translators were young. Um, they were so passionate for Turkey. It was just amazing to hear their love for their country and how they all desire for their country to um, be stronger. And we heard that from all the teachers too. They were all there because they know that they want to become better teachers. Uh, they want to help their students become better citizens, become better leaders. So hearing all of their stories, hearing their heart for their students was just an amazing experience. Um, but I think, kind of like Mary Beth said, uh, being able to connect more with Bashak, this was my uh, second time working with her, and I just felt like our connection grew even deeper. deeper. Um, like Mary Beth said, Bashak is just amazing, and you can just, you can see God in her. Yeah, she, um, she has so much passion for her country and the people around her, even people that just meet her, instantly have so much respect to, for her. They open up to her, they share their story with her and she does so much for these people. Um, but she doesn't ever take it as like, look at me, this is all the things I can do. It is all God. And every opportunity, every door, she will say, this is God opening it and the Holy Spirit just enables her to walk confidently into so many different areas. Um, so I was um, just really impressed by her and um, what God is doing through her in Turkey. Awesome. Well, thank you much, so much, guys. Thanks for going, and thank you for representing the Lord so well there in Turkey. I really appreciate and it. And there's this well-known pastor named Dave Hyatt, oh. who I heard through Emily that we are the first pancake. Now, the first pancake is always the one you put on the griddle. You need a little bit, bit more of this. You need a little bit more of that. So we are hoping that we were the first pancake, and we will continue a relationship with the Turkish teachers and grow and develop a better relationship so that they can know the love of the Lord. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Yeah, the first pancake is a way better word picture than a canary in a, in a mine or, you know, a guinea pig. So, but these guys did fantastic. They really, really did. It was a, I was blown away to hear all the stories they had as they came back. So, Mary Beth, if I'm not wrong, you talked about maybe getting a little pan pancake tattoo on there. Yeah, so more power to you. Hey, so we're talking today, obviously we were talking there about going wider in the area of, of global missions, uh, wider in terms of evangelism and outreach like we're doing with Church Beyond the Walls. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes the word evangelism, if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a church person, that word can make you feel vaguely guilty. You're not exactly sure why, but um, you feel the sense of like, oh, oh yeah, that's something I ought to be doing and ought to be about, but it's, it's not a, a happy, warm feeling. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever sold anything, had to go and sell anything? The next slide up here is... Um, just skip that one, is, uh, so the second slide, was something I had to sell when I was a kid. Anybody ever heard of Mary Bells? Uh, I was a little kid, I was probably 10, 11 years old, and was sent out into the neighborhood, either by my wrestling team or the school or somebody, to, to sell these hideous little figurines. Um, yeah, there are these knockoff Hummel things that, um, that ring, and you're supposed to hang them on the tree, but they're way too heavy, they, they fall and break. And, um, so I was tasked with going out with my little case of Mary Bells um, in the winter 
to go disturb people who were perfectly content to have no Mary Bells, um, knock on their doors, and, you know, they're sitting for dinner or watching the news or a baseball game or whatever. I guess it was winter, no baseball. But I'm, I'm coming and I'm like, hey, would you like to buy some Mary Bells? And I compelled my little brother to come along with me because I was so mortified to be doing this. And I hated every single minute of it. It was, it was, uh, it just felt awful. I'm not sure why. I was um, just, I was told to do it, but I went and I did it and it was awful. Have you ever had that experience where you had to sell something maybe through Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or school or something that you just had to go and you had to hawk this product and it just was mortifying, just somehow soul killing inside of you? Well, friends, sometimes evangelism can feel like that. It, it can feel like it's something that you're compelled to do by, uh, you don't want to necessarily do it, but you feel like, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you ought to go tell other people about Jesus. It's kind of one of the rules at church. You ought to be talking to other people, but you don't really want to, and it makes you feel guilty and a sense of shame. And what we want to talk about today is, is moving from that sense of feeling like you're, you're a salesperson, you're out hawking something that people don't want, to being an ambassador for Jesus, someone who's, who's going out, who's, who's representing him as someone who's in love with him, someone who God has done a profound work in their life, and you're sharing good news with them. Because here's my little quip. This hopefully is memorable for you. It's cheesy but memorable. The next slide there is evangelism is a chore if good news is not core. So if, if there's not good news at the core of what we're doing, then evangelism is just a chore. We've all had chores, right? Or maybe you did as a kid where you had to, you know, clean the toilet, walk the dog, make your bed, brush your teeth. That for me was a chore. But um, that you, just things you had to do that you didn't necessarily want to do, but you had to do. You felt like you were compelled by something outside of yourself, your parent. Maybe there was a reward. You got an allowance if you did it. Um, you were punished if you didn't do it. It was this, this ought to kind of thing. You must do this, but it was not a want to. There was no um, or very little uh, desire to do it. Now, so evangelism, this, and it's a beautiful word. You know, the New Testament word for evangelism, evangelion, is this uh, pronouncement of good news. The word angel is, is right in there, this messenger of God, someone who's proclaiming good news. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. It's built right in. But in our context, our context, it, it, it sometimes will take on this feeling of, of uh, guilt and shame because it's a chore if there's not good news at the core. I want to introduce you today to who I think, a man I think is probably the most miserable man in the entire Bible. Um, he just, his life is such an absolute wreck. It's not Job, if you're familiar with the Bible, it's someone in the New Testament whose life has been so categorized by pain um, that it's hard to conceive all this poor guy has gone through. Someone, if you will, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. This is from the New Living Translation. It's a bit of a long passage. I call this a blessed wretch. This man's, uh, he's, he's just wretched, but he's, uh, in the end, he ends up blessed. So it's a, I'm going to read for you from uh, the New Living Translation. Uh, Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. So they arrived at the other side of the lake. Now, just real quickly, as they're 
this is Jesus and his disciples. I shouldn't just start off with a they, right? They are Jesus and his disciples. They're coming from uh, the, essentially the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee to the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. On the way there, if you've read the story, they were almost this horrible storm, almost sunk the boat. The disciples were terrified that they were going to drown. M- many of them seasoned fishermen, but they were so terrified they were going to drown. And Jesus has to still the water. So this is the context of these guys crossing the lake. So... They arrive at the other side of the lake, the region of Gerasenes. And this is largely a Gentile region where Jews didn't really belong. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Wherever, whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. Why? Um, In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them into some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, as if the scene wasn't weird enough. Uh, This large herd of pigs, send us into those pigs, the spirits begged, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the town nearby and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by this legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He begged to go with him, but Jesus said, No, you go home, tell your family, tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region, and he began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So just a little, um, parenthetically, uh, you know, there's a lot in here about demons, evil spirits. Now, I don't believe that every mental illness, every health issue is caused um, by demonic activity. But the scriptures are very clear that there are evil spirits, that there are fallen angels who have um, chosen to rebel against God. And they, their number one priority in life is to, uh, to, to wreck the image of God that's found in humanity. To, to take the beautiful image that we, we bear of God's image and make a mockery of it. And, and you see in this man's life a legion, it's a, a legion of demons in him just destroying this beautiful creation of God. And Jesus sets him free. So... Close parentheses. Um, uh, we're just going to walk through this passage and, and see a couple of ways that for, for this man, 
As you get to the end of this evangelism going out and talking in the villages is not some sort of chore, not sort of compulsory military service that he's got to do. Um, it's not something that he's, he's got to jump through these hoops. He's not, it's not some hazing ritual, but it's something joyful and wonderful for him. So let's walk down through these, uh, a couple of points about this passage here. So the first is to look and see Jesus crossing almost every conceivable cultural barrier. Uh, so Jesus is going from this, uh, he's a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher, a holy man, um, going from a Jewish context into a Gentile context. This is something Jewish people didn't regularly do unless they absolutely had to. Unless they absolutely had to. But Jesus seems like he has one thing on his agenda this day. Pulls out his, you know, his iPhone. I'm sure Jesus used an iPhone. Uh, didn't use that Google garbage. And uh, he comes over and he says, ah, go set this guy free. That's my only thing. I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm on my way over here setting, set this man free. So Jesus crosses. He goes into this Gentile area. He's confronted immediately with a man, a raving naked lunatic, slashed and with chains dangling from him, shrieking and screaming. Um, in a, so not a, you know, I'm looking at things from his disciples' perspective. These good Jewish boys, and they're like, oh, we don't belong over here. Okay, we don't belong in Gentile areas. We don't belong with demon-possessed, shrieking, naked, bleeding people. Uh, we don't belong in tombs. We don't belong in these things. These are unclean, ceremonially unclean. And if it didn't get weird enough, we look around and there are thousands and thousands of pigs. And yet Jesus crosses right over all these cultural barriers, goes right through all these ceremonially things, not worried about getting dirty, not worrying about picking up something like I might be unclean walking away. It's as if he has this beautiful infectious holiness. It's like, I will fix stuff where I go. I will make things better. I will leave behind blessing and hope and life where I go. So Jesus crosses every conceivable cultural and ceremonial barrier. It's a terrifying scene as we just looked at. You can, you can just imagine the shrieking and screaming and this guy's um, slashing himself with stones and shackles broken. It's a horrible, horrible scene. And it looks like Jesus has just blown every chance he has to minister across the water here, right? And the killing of these 2,000 pigs, and I don't, I looked this up and I don't really understand it. Nobody I read really understood what was going on there. So I'm just going to leave it alone. All I know is about a half million dollars worth of pigs charged over the cliff and died. And the people were like, you need to go. I'm not sure what you're doing here. You did something to this guy. I guess that's awesome, but this was a big hit. So you should just keep moving, Jesus, whoever you are. So they, they just run him out of town. They're like, we don't want to hear anything else from you. They, they, they send him, put him. And Jesus, um, he does. They ask him to leave, and off he goes. He leaves. And it looks like there's no other ministry going to go on here in this, beautiful, this region of ten cities. Ten, and these are rather large cities. It goes the whole way up to Damascus. In Syria, Amman, Jordan, this is a, a big area that Jesus says, looks like he's making a foray into. This is his opening, and it looks like nothing is going to happen. He's lost his chance to minister, but he's, he's left, he leaves himself someone behind, right? He leaves an ambassador behind, not a salesperson. This guy isn't going around, hey, would you like to buy some Mary Bells? Can I tell you about Jesus? I have, no, he's like, let me, if you come to the end of the passage, and it says, so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus gave him one commission. He said, no, you go back to your family. Tell them everything he has done for you and how merciful he has been. Just go to your family. Just go to your family, whatever town you're from. 
He doesn't go to his family, does he? I mean, he goes to his family. He said, he goes to the, all these ten towns of the region and begins to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. Friends, when evangelism is just, when, when, it, when there's not good news at the core, it's just a chore. It's something we have to do. It's like, I have to go and I really don't want to knock on my neighbor's door. And, 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 but, I, but I know I ought to. I've been praying for it. You know, my church encourages me to do this. But whenever God is transforming your life, and he is transforming our lives moment by moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's, he's a moment in time he transformed it for eternity. And he continues that transforming work. I know it doesn't always feel like it. I know it's sometimes by faith that you just have to say, I know God is good and he's done good stuff in my life. And it's easy to forget. And we'll get to another passage that addresses that. But um, a couple of last points about this. Missions is often like this, just as a... As a uh, Someone who's done missions for a while that where an outsider comes in and touches an insider who then becomes the, the catalyst for change in a community. That happens all the time in missions history. And uh, really evangelism is not a chore for this man, right? In fact, this guy seems like wild horses or wild pigs in his case couldn't hold him back. You know, he is off and he is telling people. And really his story in so many ways, is, is our story. It needs to be our story. I know, I know a lot of you guys, I look around you, I see, um, I see a lot of folks who have MDs, PhDs, they run companies, they're engineers, they build magnificent buildings and um, have raised fantastic families, they, they teach, you guys have held elected office. You're, you're fantastic, competent, capable people. You're smart, you're wise, you, you make a lot of money, you give a lot of money, you've been blessings to me, my family. And yet, I dare say if you're anything like me, if when you came to Jesus, it was not when you were receiving your hood at your PhD ceremony. It was when you were a scared little kid who was walking around with his, his tray in middle school and didn't know where to sit, or was um, worried that no one was going to like him. That when you came, um, you were, you were a, a person who was like, I need you, Jesus. You're, you were going down for the third time and your hand was going up and you're like, I, I just need help. I need hope. I need something in my life. Your parents were getting divorced or you were getting divorced. or There was a, something, a mess in your kid's life and you cried out to God and he had mercy on you. And that's like, that's, the, that's what this, this man's situation is. So you, you don't come... Um, and and your, our evangelism doesn't come from a place of like, I know a lot, you don't know much, let me tell you what I know. Does that not sound like a salesperson who you just don't want to, like that's the, the robocall you get and you hang up on as soon as there's no voice there. Um, this story of this man is at least, I know none of us, I hope none of us were as miserable as this poor fellow, but our story is a lot like his story. Um, it, it, sometimes in the New Testament and New Testament scholars or sometimes we as pastors will do this it, it feels like there are two Bibles one is the Gospels and the other is the rest of the New Testament Paul's ep epistles and, and stuff but they're really they're so integrally connected I want to turn with, to uh, a passage in 1 Corinthians and show how this is related 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to, um, to 31 is a picture of, of, of Paul talking to some people who who really, in the Corinthian church here, they were, um, you know, they were pretty proud of themselves. Some of them were following Paul. Some were following uh, another teacher, Apollo. Some said they were following Peter. Some followed, no, 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 I just followed Jesus. They were, you know, really getting into wisdom and philosophy and thinking, okay, I, they were a bit full of themselves. So Paul says to them, 
He says, hey, listen, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Like this man running around telling about all that the Lord has done for him. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Boast in all that God has done for him. The next slide here. Just want to walk down, and I don't mean to insult you. I know you didn't get out of bed and walk through the rain so you can come to church and be insulted. But here you go anyhow. This is what, uh, this is what Paul says about the, the Corinthians. And, and I personally at least, I relate to a lot of these things. Maybe you don't. He says, who you were before coming to faith in Christ. Now, know this, that you are, the, 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 according to the scriptures, the most glorious created creatures there are, bearing the image of God. But that image was corrupted by, by sin and by the fall. And so Paul can say, hey, you guys weren't wise. You weren't influential. You weren't noble. You were foolish. You were weak. You were lowly. You were despised. Really nothing special. And if you read the New Testament, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know you're right in line to be blessed. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst, blessed are those who suffer. Like, you're right there. You're ready for blessing. You're right there. That's who you were and who you are in Christ. He turns around and says, now you have been placed in Christ, in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the incarnate Word, the one who holds the entire universe together by the power of His Word, came, took on flesh and blood, lived among us, and suffered a terrible death that we could have life eternal. And, and Paul says, now you are in him. You are in him. You are in his finished work, and you have become the wisdom of God. The right, you've become righteous in God. You've become holy. You become, you are redeemed. And the word redeemed, I just want to camp on for a second, was a, a slave market term. You were, you were for sale. You were a slave, you were up for auction, just like that man you had chains hanging on you. You were up for sale, and Jesus bought you with his blood. You have been redeemed, redeemed by God. And now your life is a living testimony. Let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you can go out and tell people not how smart you are, how good you are, how you, you know, these are all the things I know that you don't know. I know the ontological, cosmological, teleological arguments for the existence of God. Why you're wrong, I'm right, I'm good, you're bad. You know, okay, if that's evangelism, I don't want to do it either. You know, so, but you have a living testimony of what God has done in your life. And what God has done in your life. Um, last weekend, my wife and I were down to Harper's Ferry, Virginia, and uh, we, were, we were hiking at a, um, one of the overlooks down there. You can see down into the, the river valley and stuff. And as we were walking up the trail, we came to a point where uh, someone was coming down the trail, and they said, hey, the trail is closed um, a, about a third of a mile on. Of course, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm still going because I want to see if I can get there because the overlook was the whole reason we came these like four miles but we got to to a point where if you'll go to the next slide it said this it said trail closed and uh the lady who had come down she said hey there's an avalanche ahead you can keep going if you want to but um you can't get there from here so um 
in, in a sense, being someone who is doing evangelism, as someone who's just walked a trail a little bit ahead. So my wife and I turn around at this point because she's smarter than me. So we, we turn around and we saw that sign. We came back and, uh, and we're, we're heading back. And we told people along the way, hey, the, the trail is closed. The trail is closed. That's all the news we had. That's all the information we had to share with them is that the trail was closed ahead. And uh, most of the people, they would stop. They would ask us a question. They'd say, well, is there anything else worth seeing along this trail? Are there any other trails that we can see? And in a, in a lot of ways, evangelism is simply sharing your story in a way um, of something you've experienced that lets other people, and they, it invites them to even ask questions about your story. So... I want to close with a couple of points of application. Um, it's probably about a half dozen, actually. So, um, but by application, I want you, like Paul says here, to remember who you were. Remember who you were uh, when you were called by Jesus. In a lot of ways, remember who you are. It isn't just like, well, yeah, when I was, when I was uh, 14 and my, my, I was lost, I, I really, I knew it. I didn't know what the meaning of life was. I was wondering what the heck I was doing on this planet. And my oldest brother shared the good news about God's love and what Jesus had done with me. It was transformational for me. But I can look at other times, even throughout my life when I'm in and still in desperate need for God and I cry out to him. So remember what you were, what you are, that God has had mercy and continues to have mercy on you. So when you approach the idea of evangelism and talking with other people about faith in Jesus, do so as one who's humble and one who's seen radical transformation. Remember what you are, that you are a new creation in Christ, that you are um, that holiness and wisdom and righteousness and redeemed. Those, that's your new story. And then just tell your story. We live in this wonderful, wonderful time. This, um, what do we, we call this postmodern era where everybody's story is valid. Everybody has a story, right? And there are some bad things about that, but there's some good things about that too. Everybody has a story to tell. And we, we happen to, and this may sound arrogant, but I believe I have God's authority on this, that we have a true story to tell, not just a story, not just one competing narrative among a million. And if it is in competition, that's fine. It'll win. Because it's true. Jesus really did die. He really did rise from the dead. And he really does transform lives day after day after day for the last 2,000 years. So tell your story. Tell your story. Let people tell their story. Don't freak out when they tell you their story. Don't freak out. Just let them tell you their story. And then tell them your story. Um, one thing I want to invite you to do, we've, we're uh, entering, a, we've been at it for a couple weeks, but we're still doing the, we're doing the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is a fantastic place to say, look, I can't explain everything that it means to be a follower of Jesus, but it's awesome. It's awesome. And I would, why don't you come with me to the, the Alpha Course. It's a 10-week course, and I'd love to, uh, we have invitations out in the lobby that you can pick up. Invite someone along to Alpha um, as, a, as a great opportunity to just engage them. Uh, Church Beyond the Walls, please sign up. Um, sign up, you'll have opportunities to show and to share the love of Jesus, but also, um, as I said, invite neighbors, invite friends. If you're going um, to, to clean up a neighbor's yard or you're, you're helping with love in the name of Christ where they house poor families, okay? They have a couple of homes of hope where we're going to do some work or one of the parsonages where they, they host adults who are in for thoracic surgery, cardiothoracic surgery, who, don't have, who can't afford a hotel, so they stay in one of the parsonages around here. Um, we're going to go and we're going to do some cleanup work, some painting work, some different things there. Go. Um, and you can invite a neighbor to do that. It's not particularly religious or anything. It's just going to, to help some people in need. So you can invite your neighbors to do that. Um, and 
have an opportunity to talk with them. And then as we talk about going wider, wider, you know, worldwide wider, as Emily and Mary Beth shared going on this trip, I love, it, it's been fantastic to see how some of the, the vocations that people have in our, um, in our congregation are used around the world. I was just on a, on a team to, uh, to West Africa with a couple of friends, and one of the guys there works at uh, Hershey Foods, and they said, so what are you going to be doing there? Are you going to be building something? Are you going to be doing medicine? You don't really know any of that stuff. He's like, no, I'm gonna, we're going to be doing strategic planning. We're going to be doing some brainstorming. We're going to help this, uh, these, these people who are working in these villages become more efficient. And they said, well, that's the kind of stuff you do here all day long. He's like, yeah. That's true. That's what I do. So our teachers, they, they were teachers. You know, there was combined over, I'm not trying to date these guys, but over 100 years of experience, not these two, but all four of the teachers uh, in teaching who went on this trip to, to help with Turkish teachers to help them become better teachers. We have uh, physicians who, you know, have jumped in to train Chinese counselors at crisis pregnancy centers on Zoom. They just, oh, there are Chinese women who want to counsel women to not have an abortion, but they need psycho help with psychological counseling. We had people jump in just on Zoom. So if, if you were like, I don't know how God could use me, but I, I want to be used, even use my vocation. I just put my email address up here, and it's right this time. Um, email me. I'd love to, you know, connect with you and talk with you what, about what that would be like. But in closing, I just want you to know that evangelism when, when good news, the good news of the transformation, the transforming work of Jesus is in your heart. It's, it's not a chore. It's not something you're doing to people. It's not something you're foisting on them. It's not hawking Mary Bells to them. It's just telling the story of God's transforming power in your life. It's truly, it's, it's good news. So um, with that in mind, I just want to pray and uh, release you guys. So Father, thank you for the, um, the work that you did in this man's life 2,000 years ago. Um, on that crazy shoreline uh, and that you continue that same same work of setting captives free of uh, that we can be clothed in, in our right minds because we know you now uh, clothed in your righteousness given your your goodness I, I pray that we as a church would have a massive impact in the community around us because we love them and we love you in Christ's name amen thank you friends sure thing Tom